Welcome to Crime on Caffeine. I'm your host, Erica. And I'm your host, Allison. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode. Today, we'd be sipping on a mommy coffee. Literally, it's called mommy coffee. <laughs> Poor Erica has to be sipping on my mommy coffees, but it is good, guys. I swear they offer full calf, half calf, a fourth a calf, or decaf. So if you're just, if you're not a mommy and you want just not all the caffeine or half the caffeine or a fourth of the caffeine or decaf caffeine, you should try this because it's really, really good. And it's really helping me because it's low acid. Yes. And I'm trying to get back into that coffee gang. It's gluten free too, which is amazing, which I need. Yeah. And it's run by a mommy and a family. So that's even better. So we're supporting them. You can find it on their website or on Amazon. Found mine on Amazon. So get you some, guys. We sipping on mommy coffee because I'm a mommy now. Um, And if you guys have any other suggestions for some good coffees that are low acid or like the half-calf, fourth-calf, anything like that, we want to keep trying some good mommy coffees. So send it our way. Yes. Or tea because I still am – Big on tea yes. or matcha. I kind of want to try matcha, see if that will help me. Oh, yeah. I love matcha. Some matcha lemonade. Did I send you that TikTok of the Yoda drink from Starbucks? I don't know. It's called the Baby Yoda, and it's a cold chai tea latte with matcha cream cold foam. And that just sounds fabulous to me. Guys, we're also, I don't know why, um, we found pretzels.com and <laughs> realized there are a bunch of pretzel flavors that we didn't know existed. So pretzels.com, if you want to listen. <laughs> if you're listening, I would literally give my left arm to try some of these flavors. No, seriously. I I want to try the garlic parm. And the cinnamon one. (laughs) Guys, there's so many. There's freaking loaded nacho, beer cheese. Football pizza, because I don't know what that means. (laughs) Football pizza, but there's also a pepperoni pizza. So, like, what does it mean? Smoked Gouda. Don't ask us how we got here. All that matters is that we know it is. There's a brick oven pizza one, too. I, I feel like I need to taste test all the flavors at once because I need to know if those three pizza options taste different. They gotta. Also, I'll tell you how I got here. Instagram ads. Why Why uh, on earth? I know I love pretzels. Always Instagram but- <laughs> ads. <laughs> they got me at like 1030 at night, and that's when I'm like peak hungry right now. <laughs> and they just knew. They were like, this bitch loves a pretzel. And now I can't stop thinking. This bitch about loves them. a pretzel. <laughs> My phone probably hears me talk about pretzels like 15 times a week. So it's like, you know what? Pretzel.com. Let's let her know. <laughs> just so rude. But seriously, pretzels.com. If you just want to send every flavor, that would be most beneficial. <laughs> if you're listening. You know what? I'll reach what out. What are the I'll changes? <laughs> you know what? I know you're not listening. I'll reach out. Everything's fine. It's fine. It's fine. 
we did just want to give some shout outs. So we've been getting some really sweet messages. Yes. When you message us on Instagram, you don't understand how happy it makes us. It's like the nicest thing in the world. And it's just awesome to know you guys are listening and you're enjoying. And so, yeah. Yes, we love it so much. And I feel like the more you guys do it, the happier we get. So so just like boost us up a little bit. Um, first I wanted to give a shout out to my friend Kiki, who I grew up with. She recently messaged me and was like, girly, I didn't know this was your podcast. And I said, girly, it is my podcast. And then she told me how obsessed she is with it. So thank you, Kiki. I'm obsessed with you. You're obsessed with the podcast. It's an obsession and we're in love with it. Yes. Thank you, Kiki. And then we also got a really sweet message from one of our followers named Rach. Um, Rach, girl, thank you so much. Your (laughs) message was so sweet. We really appreciate it. And we're so happy that you're listening and loving the podcast. Yes, Rach. Snaps for Rach. Um, Okay. Today's case, a little bit of a different one. This is a case that went unsolved. For a very long time, but it was actually solved in 2021. Wow. Really? This is a case that was recommended um, by one of Nate's friends who we played hockey with. Tyler, thank you so much for the recommendation. This is the now solved. I know. This is the now solved case of the murder of Christine Jessup. Okay. Mm -hmm. So. On October 3rd, 1984, Christine Jessup arrived at her home in Queensville, Ontario, after she was dropped off by a school bus. When she got home, she was home alone. The father was currently being held in the Toronto East Detention Center for 18 months. I think he, like, stole from, like, their friends or something like that. Not not important, but uh, her mom went to go – her mother, Janet, went to go pick up Christine's brother, Kenny. So it was only a very short amount of time, like under 30 minutes that she was supposed to be home alone, but she was supposed to like come home, get off the bus and then go meet her friend at the park. So she really wasn't even going to be home alone for a long. She was literally going to get off the bus and leave. So she was supposed to meet her friend at the park at four and then her mom was going to be home like right after that. So they ended up getting home at 410. And strangely, they see Christine's bike just like laying on its side in the family shed and the kickstand was damaged. And so they were like, okay, that's weird. And they went into the home and they found a few other things that stood out to them. For example, Christine's jacket that she'd been wearing was hanging up on a hook that was way out of her reach. It was way too tall for her. Like she would not have put her jacket on that hook. So that was weird. And so at five o'clock, Christine still hadn't come home. She was supposed to come home from the park at this point. And so this is where Janet began to worry. So she started calling around town and like calling her classmates and her friends. And she even spoke to Christine's friend, Leslie, who she was supposed to meet. And Leslie told Janet that she left the park because Christine never showed up, which like, okay, well, why, why didn't you guys like call to make sure? I don't know. Really weird. You'd think they would have called Janet and been like, Hey, uh, Christine didn't show up to the park. I just want to let you know. Yeah, already sketchy. Yeah, so that's weird. 
Um, so she called the York Regional Police. Let's just talk about this police department for a second. Very, very small. Hadn't dealt with many cases like this before. And in most cases in this area, like a missing child case, they end up being like a runaway or it was one of the parents that abducted them. But in this case, neither of those stories really worked, seeing as, you know, all of Christine's things were still at the house. So she definitely didn't run away. And there would have been no – oh, yeah. Okay. Gus agree. There, <laughs> there would have been no parent to abduct her. Why would the mom abduct her when she already had her and the dad was in jail? Mm-hmm. So the department really never dealt with a true child abduction, had definitely never dealt with the murder of a child. So I just want to keep that in mind as we discuss the initial investigation. Detectives start looking at the home, and for some reason, they just had people walking in and out of the potential crime scene, like including random neighbors, just like coming in and out, touching random things. The detectives even threw away a newspaper that could have been potential evidence that makes sense. This, it was a bust. Yeah. Many things that could have been evidence were now contaminated and no longer of use. So. Unfortunately, this small little police department, they're fucking it up right off the bat. So they started to look into close friends of the family, people who knew them, because they determined, you know, this wouldn't just be a random abduction. It was someone who knew the family, knew their schedule, and somehow knew that Christine had a very short window during that day where she would be home alone. So the family supplied detectives with a list of people close to them began interviewing. Um, They had a bunch of searches over town and people from all over town helped volunteer to look for Christine. But unfortunately, by the end of 1984, we still had no trace of Christine. We had no prime suspects. Until New Year's Eve, a couple was walking in Sunderland, which is part of the Durham region, which was 56 kilometers away from Queensville. And they happened to come across a decomposed body in the grass near the body was a recorder with a name on it, Christine Jessup. She had multiple stab wounds to her chest, her underwear were lying on the ground next to her. So we can assume here she was sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. So now that the body was found in another region, the Durham Regional Police took over the case. Detectives visited the Jessups at their home in February of 1985, asking for a new list of people that they could consider. And the Jessups couldn't really think of anyone outside the names they'd already provided, the people that had already been cleared by the York Regional Police. So detectives began to kind of like snoop around and talk to different people in the neighborhood. They became extremely interested in their next door neighbor, Guy Paul Morin. The Morin family were a really close-knit family, and Guy Paul Morin had no criminal record. He was kind. He was quiet. He had a full-time job. He worked for a furniture manufacturing firm. And in his free time, he played the saxophone and the clarinet. He was in three different bands. And as a child, was described as a prodigy or a savant. Um, the family also did, like, beekeeping. And he okay. was supposedly ultra talented and his parents like really raised their six kids to be like good, helpful, hard workers. Like he worked with his dad a lot. They did a lot of things like fix up the house together. But as soon as Janet mentioned this quiet neighbor who played the clarinet, 
the detectives kind of like already judged him and made up their mind about him. And they wrote down in their notes that he was a weird type guy. So from there, his fate was sealed. And I feel like this aspect of the case really reminded me of West Memphis 3. Mm-hmm. Just because they kind of like found the outcasts in the town and they decided like, okay, these are the guys. And then um, they had what you would call tunnel vision. They would only focus on those guys and did whatever they could to like make this guy into the perpetrator. Exactly. They also learned that he didn't assist in any of the searches, which really stuck out to them because everyone else in the neighborhood did. So they started surveillance on the Morin house at the end of February. And one day they had him like walk up to the car and they just started like casually questioning him, asking him how well he knew Christine, things like that. And he didn't really give much info because there wasn't much info to give. He was like, I don't really know her that well. Like she's my neighbor, but she's 16 years younger than me and she was a kid. He didn't really have much to say, not even in like a sketchy way. Like he literally just like didn't know her well. Um, He also gave an alibi. He was literally at work. He clocked out of work at 334 and traveled 57 kilometers to get home, which meant that he could not have arrived at their neighborhood any earlier than 414 p.m. And Christine's mother and brother – They'd already gotten home at 410 and Christine was already gone. So logically, right there, we know this could not have been him. Mm -hmm. Detectives also questioned him on on why he didn't help with the search, to which he'd explained he would have if they'd asked, but he'd been working on the house with his dad at the time. Forgot what they were building, like something on like the porch or the deck or something. Um, And he just figured there were enough people looking. He was like, if they came to me personally and were like, can you please help? He 100% 100% would have, which, you know, yeah. that makes complete sense. Um, so they took a sample of his hair to a forensic scientist named Stephanie Nesnik. I could be butchering that. And if I am, I greatly apologize. I mean, no disrespect. Um, she examined a very, very deteriorated hair sample that was on Christine's necklace and found that it was missing too many elements to be able to tell detectives like, who exactly did it? It was kind of more like so many people in the world share these characteristics, and it's possible that Morins could as well. So, like realistically, mm-hmm. it like could have been anyone's. Um, she later told police that she overstated her discovery, but they ran with it, which is just insane to me. Um, They had a profiler write up a profile on the killer, and when they went to make a press release, like did a press conference explaining the profile, they took out anything they didn't think fit more in. So things like um, they said that the perpetrator would have acne, they would have a history of arson, voyeurism, things like that. They took a bunch of this stuff out just so that they could like frame it as him. And kind of like to scare him a little if he had – I mean, obviously, they're going to hear about it. It's going to be all over the news everywhere. But right on t- April 22nd, 1985, he was arrested for the murder of nine-year-old Christine Jessup. But, you know, what? how is this possible if he couldn't have made it there in time, right? Yeah. Police were worried about this detail too. 
So they kept checking in with Janet, and once she confirmed, she absolutely got home at 4.10 because she remembered she looked at the clock because she had to make a call to her husband's lawyer at 4.50. But over time, they were able to like slowly – I don't want to say like gaslight, but I mean, that's exactly what they did. They like mm-hmm. continue to like break her down and slowly convince her that she really didn't go home until 4.30. And it's later learned in court that Morin didn't even make it back to the neighborhood until 5.30 that night because he stopped for groceries um, near his work at the way home. So he was still over in the area that he worked. Like he did not travel the 57 kilometers to make it home until he got there at 5.30. But – they are still trying to paint him as secretive, suspicious, and whatnot. So that doesn't really help. No. They also sent an undercover to pose as Morin's cellmate. And the undercover asked Morin what his favorite movie was, to which Morin wanted to explain that his favorite movie was The Shining. And he couldn't remember the name. So he reenacted like a scene from it with like a stabbing motion. And the undercover went back to detectives and told them that Morin, quote, showed them what he did to Christine. But this guy just wasn't – He just made that shit up. Yeah. He wasn't understanding what he was talking about because Morin just couldn't remember the name of the movie. So he was bringing up an iconic scene, but clearly this guy had no idea what he was talking about. Doesn't matter. also, if it is your favorite movie and it's one of the most iconic horror films of all time, you got to know the name of it. Yeah, which is weird. I don't know. He he could only remember like the re-drum part, so he kept saying that, but this guy was probably like, what the fuck? And the information was released to the public, so, you know, everyone's minds were already made up about him and the way that they were framing mm-hmm. it. So surprisingly, the jury finds him not guilty, but not even a month later, it's appealed. Unfortunately for Morin, there is a new trial in 1990 because the judge in the original trial, I guess he like didn't explain to the jury what reasonable doubt meant well enough. So because of this, they were able to have a new trial. But once again, don't have any evidence to go off of. So they decide they need to come up with a theory, a new theory, an absurd theory. (laughs) And that theory was that He used his clarinet skills to lure Christine to his vehicle, you know, because she played the recorder. So, like, if she saw a guy playing the clarinet, she would be like, oh, shit. So. He's not the fiddler, okay? Like, (laughs) what is happening here? I am confused. Yeah, ridiculous. So on July 30th, 1992, he is found guilty of first-degree murder and is sentenced to life. He was 32 years old at the time. It's just not fair. So about 90 kilometers away in Oshawa, Ontario at the time was Calvin Hoover, his wife Heather, and their four children. Mr. Calvin Hoover was swimming in debt and struggling with many severe undiagnosed mental illnesses as well as substance abuse problems for reasons that were unknown to everyone around him. Just two days before Christine's disappearance, Janet and the children visited the Hoovers at their home. Bob and Calvin became friends through work, introduced their wives, who also became best friends. Janet mentioned to the couple that she would be going to visit her husband in jail in two days and did not plan on bringing Christine. She just like didn't want to expose her to the environment. We may never know exactly what happened or 
what was so wrong in this man's head that this prompted him to use this information to carry out this horrendous attack. But we do know that one way or another, he was able to abuse his friendship with the family to gain Christine Jessup's trust, get her into his car, rape and murder her before dumping her in an area far from Queensville where no one would ever suspect him of a thing. He had no criminal history. His name was never on any of the lists provided by the Jessups, and he attended the funeral and all of the searches. There, Nobody on the outside could tell that he was guilty, but clearly on the inside, the guilt was really affecting him. In February of 93, Morin hired a lawyer and filed for an appeal. He was out on bond while waiting for the appeal, which was scheduled for January of 1995. I guess there was like an overwhelming amount of people in the town that just did not think he was guilty at all. There was like a poll that went out. Um, <laughs> guilty yeah. or not guilty? Click yeah. yes. <laughs> Calvin Hoover was not the most organized killer and left his DNA in the form of semen on Christine's underwear. So luckily, this DNA was used for Morin's appeal, and within three days of the trial starting, he was cleared of all charges. Of course he was. Hell yeah! The pictures of this happening are really cute because he looks very happy. Well, yeah, he didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, great news for him, bad news for Calvin Hoover, and obviously the worst news for the Jessup family because their nightmare just had to continue. I mean, their nightmare would forever continue since Christine was gone. But mm-hmm. with the news of Morin's exoneration, Calvin Hoover's substance abuse issue became an even bigger issue. And thanks to advancements in DNA that made the exoneration possible, he knew that it wouldn't be long before police were able to track down her real killer. Mm. In 96, he was so lost, carrying a secret that was destroying him. Substance abuse issues got worse. He was charged with a DUI after driving drunk and crashing his truck, and Heather divorced him soon after. So at this point, he starts to uh, like hop around the country. I know he lives like over in, um, on the West Coast at some point. He ended up finding love again and marrying this woman in Vegas in 2003. Um, Sadly, the woman died of natural causes in 2009, and this like sent him into another spiral to the point where in 2014, he attempted suicide, but he ended up surviving. My God. Yeah. It really wasn't until 2019 that things started to pick up with the Christine Jessup case again, which was because it was taken over by Toronto police at this time. And the lead detective on the case had recently – he took a lot of time to learn about forensic genealogy, which is the technique that helped catch the Golden State Killer a couple years ago. So he took a lot of time to learn about this, and they worked to examine the DNA and narrow it down. It took so long for them to narrow it down. Like explaining the process to me is insane, just that they're able to do this. It's amazing. But they were finally able to narrow it down thanks to Calvin Hoover. Um, tragically for Christine Jessup, justice would never be served because Hoover successfully attempted suicide in 2015. Um, luckily the coroner's office still had DNA and after some testing, they were able to prove once and for all that this man is officially who killed Christine Jessup. Her family was able to have a little bit of peace of mind in knowing, you know, 
that they knew who did it and that they knew that Morin didn't do it. Um, and luckily, Morin was able to move on with his life as much as he could. He was awarded $1.25 million um, for being wrongfully convicted. He got married. He had kids. He produced a clarinet record. Um, and he was working for a while as a successful repairman. Wow. So, yeah, it's nice to hear that he had a happy story, but it just the impact of him being he spent 10 years of his life with people thinking that he was responsible he for this and it, yeah 18 months in prison like this trauma will never go away for him no matter how much money you throw at him no matter yeah who issues a public apology like they literally went after this guy for no reason it's so sad it's so sad. And they make a point to talk about the fact that, you know, all of those years where Calvin Hoover was just like going around the country, we have no idea what he was doing. Like, did he have a victim? Usually, child predators have more than one victim. Um, oh, yeah, so I didn't they're. Even think about that. Yeah. They, um, as of like the end of last year, end of 2021, they were still taking the DNA evidence and trying to see if they could connect it to any open cases. Nothing has come out yet, but that'll be really interesting to see. I just, you know, the way that his guilt was kind of eating him alive, I'm like, I feel like there's no way that he could have done it again. But it just, I have so many questions about, you know, why the fuck did you do it in the first place? We'll never get those answers of like what went down that day, why he did yeah. it. Like, was there any inclination that he was a child predator, that he was a murderer? That like, you know, we will never have those answers. And I, my heart goes out to the Jessup family because they'll never have those answers either. And you know, while they have a name, I that only does so much. Yeah, I feel like. The only thing I could think of is how, like, maybe he made an advance and she freaked out, denied him, he couldn't handle it, you know, like the, that whole dog and pony show. But I don't, it just. But a nine year old, like, why you that's think what I'm she saying. was going like, to accept your advance in the first place? It's just so yeah. weird. It's like with child predators, they don't normally like it, like, it's an almost like an addiction like yeah it's going like to a, keep seeking I'm out I'm going to shoot my shot yeah and then okay nope moved on yeah. I wonder if it was just something he was trying to like suppress for so long and that's why he turned to like drinking and drugs and Probably. it was like these urges he was just trying to suppress them and that combined with the guilt I don't know but it does make you think like if he did it once he and then he went and traveled the country like he could have very much so done it again. Yeah. Yeah, he felt guilty and obviously was like trying to cope with that. But that does not mean that he didn't give in to urges that he had if he did it yeah. once. Definitely. And his ex-wife, Heather, had come out in interviews and she never had any – she was like he watched – because, you know, they were close to the family. She had, like, a picture of Christine with her always. She They would visit the grave together, and she was like, I did not know this man. He did all these things with me. He would see this picture, and I would never – she would have never thought. She was, like, completely shocked. Well, yeah. So, yeah, that is the 
the bittersweet case of Christine Jessup, it's solved, but you know, there's never going to be a happy ending with this. No, and that's so sad. Honestly, the fact that I just hate children cases. I just, I, I know that we've looked into the psychology of all this before, but it's like, I just genuinely don't know how somebody could think that way. I don't I know. And children. like, it was, so they were hanging out two days before and, you know, she said she's going to be home alone from this time to this time. Like how long had you had some type of attraction or feeling about this person that you were like, okay, I am literally going to take this 10 minutes that she's alone and boom. Like how long were you playing this? Like, did they ever see him acting weird with her? Like I, I have so many questions, so many questions. And we just will never get the answers to those. If you guys have any suggestions for like unsolved cases that were solved, send them our way because um, survivor cases especially are always amazing. But I love me a good unsolved turn to solve case, you know. We love a little light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And I only like unsolved that ends in solved and not unsolved that makes me want to freaking throw my head against a window (laughs) because I can't figure it out. So do that recommend those thank you guys so much for listening thank you for your sweet messages and kind words we love chatting with you guys so feel free to reach out for anything comments questions concerns just whatever you want we love chatting you can follow us on instagram it's just at crime on caffeine actually everything that we do is just at crime on caffeine so doesn't matter follow us subscribe to us you know, hit that review button on Apple and Spotify because we don't get very many reviews anymore. And I want to know why. Only if they're nice though. Yeah. Please be nice. If they're mean, Um, shut it. (laughs) (laughs) Keep your mouth shut. Uh, But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening and we will catch you on the next one. (laughs) 